All right, well, hey, Door of Hope Northeast, this is Cameron, um, and here we go. This is our first, uh, hopefully, of of many, the the hopefully not too many, uh, little devotionals through the Gospel of John. And uh, before we jump into it, I just wanted to use this first one to kind of kind of tee up what we're doing. So, um, if you read the last Door of Hope Northeast newsletter, which if you're not part of that, you can uh, go to Door of Hope N E. Uh, .org to the website, and there's a link there to, to subscribe to the newsletter, which is a great way, super important way to stay in communication during this weird time when we can't physically gather together. But if you did read that news newsletter, um, you read about this, that uh, as we're trying to brainstorm ways to stay connected in this weird day, um, one of those ways, and there will be others, of, of course, one of those ways is through um, immersing ourselves in the same scriptures together. Um, and so what, what we've decided to do is start uh, sort of, sort of a, a, if you're able to, a daily reading through the Gospel of John. We chose the Gospel of John uh, because it seemed like just, just a really wise way to, to immerse ourselves in John and his teachings as we eventually we'll, we'll get back together for worship gatherings and pick back up the verse, the, the book of first John. Um, we thought this, this opportunity would be cool to jump into the gospel of John, which was written before by probably the same author. Um, but the, the letter of John, um, just picks up so many of the same themes, reiterates them. But as we, as we mentioned in that first sermon, uh, the, the, with, a, with, with years to continue to reflect, maybe even a decade after the gospel was written on the things that were written there by John. And so um, doing the gospel of John together just seems like a great way to prepare our hearts and minds uh, and imaginations for jumping back into the letter uh, whenever, whenever that is that we're able to, hopefully not before too long. Um, and the way it's going to work is we've, we've uh, kind of divvied up for at least the first few weeks and we'll, we'll do more as they come. Uh, the book into a few chapters. And so this past week, it was uh, the Gospel of John chapters one through four. Um, and this this video, this uh, audio is getting published Saturday night. Um, and then Monday, the 23rd of March, uh, we will all begin reading chapters five through eight. And then the following Monday, we'll pick up with chapter nine and so forth. But the idea is for uh, each day that week to just read and reread these few chapters of John. And so um, hopefully some of you have already started reading John 1 through 4. Um, if you haven't, of course, you can catch up with us however you see fit. Um, but the idea is that you would just take those those four chapters, 1 through 4, and just uh, as part of your, your devotional rhythm, whatever that looks like, and if you don't have one, this is a great time to start one. But to read those those four chapters, and for some of you that, you know, there are different approaches. It, it might be dividing those four chapters up over the week and just doing a little bit each day. For some of you, you might want to read all four chapters each day um, to just kind of keep reading and rereading and rereading, you know, four, five, six, seven times in the week. Or some of you that are even more ambitious might want to read uh, those four chapters uh, through multiple times each day. Whatever that looks like for you, it's, it's totally fine. Uh, but we want to uh, read the same chapters together. And then hopefully you've got some sort of practice 
um, for for sort of devotionally reflecting back through what you what you've read in the scriptures. And so uh, whether that's journaling, uh, writing down questions and observations, um, whether that's uh, doing some sort of meditation on a verse or two that that stuck out to you, um, whether that's just just really focused prayer time, prayerfully reflecting through Thanksgiving um, and intercession from what you've read. Uh, and and if, if you have no idea where to get started with that kind of thing, email me, Cameron at doorofhopepdx.org. I'd be happy to shoot you some ideas. Um, but yeah, so we're going to read together, do some sort of devotional reflection together, I should say, <laughs> isolatedly together. Um, and then a couple times a week, once or twice, we'll have myself, and I thought it'd be encouraging to have a few other folks from the Northeast community just share one of these short audio devotionals uh, through this podcast. Um, and so um, we'll, we'll probably have one published on Saturday so that if you if you do want to try to gather around one of these little recordings as part of like family or roommate or individual worship time on Sunday, you could do that. But we may have another one or two come out over the course of the week um, as well. Uh, so our, our hope is that this is just a way that we can, as a community, as a brand new uh, church community, do something together uh, and, and just have that, that confidence that, that we're not alone in this, but there's a community of people gathering around the same scriptures, reflecting on the same things, encountering Jesus in the same ways. Um, so we thought that'd be good. Um, so that's the introduction. We won't do that intro for, for the rest of these. That's just uh, kind of a reminder of how this is going to function. So uh, now let's just let's just jump into our short devotional time uh, from, from John 1 uh, through 4. Before we look at the particular verse from that section, I just want to mention like, okay, the, the coronavirus, COVID-19, global pandemic um, has already hit different people across the world in different ways and um, people in our own city here in Portland and, and even in our own church uh, here at Dwarf Hope Northeast have been hit in different ways. Um, folks have died, not from our church, uh, but, but globally. Folks have lost jobs, some from our church already. Um, some are, some are stable right now, but they're wracked with worry or fear. Um, some, the situation is dramatically going to change a week or two from now. And, and so there's just so many unknowns, but there's already real anxiety and real pain and real loss already beginning to set in. Um, and we don't know what it's going to look like in the coming weeks or months. We don't know yet even when we're going to be able to gather together physically in community groups and for worship and prayer meetings and so forth. But um, with everything going on, it in crazy times, it is natural to ask if God has forgotten us. And I don't know if you personally have, have wrestled with that thought yet. Like, where are you, God? Do you care? Do you see what's going on here? How are you at all present in this? Um, if you haven't asked that, that's, that's okay. Um, if you have asked it, that, that's okay. Um, it's natural. Uh, and so I thought for this first one, it'd be cool to, to look at uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, just the singular verse from that beautiful intro to the gospel. I hope you uh, has been encouraging to you as you've read it. But uh, the verse the verse simply says this, that in the ESV, it says, and the word that, that John's been setting up for these first verses, who this word is, um, the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, and so the first thing I want to highlight, the, the first thing he says here is just this, this clause, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is similar to what uh, even the first two Sundays we covered um, when we were able to gather for worship, but in Hebrews 1 and in 1 John 1, just this, the magnitude of this idea that the word, the, the one who was God and was with God, uh, became flesh and dwelt with his people. It's just this idea that Jesus being God himself is the ultimate revelation of God, the final revelation of God, because he is God in flesh, God translated into human terms. He's Emmanuel, God with his people, with us. Um, the, the word was not content to sit idly back and distantly, but he, he entered into human flesh, taking the form of a servant to serve us. And that word flesh is interesting. It's this Greek word sarx. Everyone say that? <laughs> try, try to say that sarx. It's like, I don't know, it kind of has this griminess to it. And it usually does carry a negative connotation in the Greek. Um, Paul talks a lot about the sarks with its evil desires. Uh, but, but, but there's no negative connotation here. Uh, he's simply emphasizing uh, the reality of the incarnation, the enfleshed Jesus. So Jesus didn't have sinful flesh. He didn't have, he didn't have our sinful flesh, but, but he had genuine flesh nonetheless. Um, so this just emphasizes this idea that he, he joined us where we were. He identified fully with us. He took on our form. Um, and he dwelt among us. Uh, he, he, he lived his life with us in our midst. And so Jesus uh, reveals that God is not a God who sits back dispassionately disinterestedly uh, from his people, but he's he's the God who incarnates himself into our situation uh, with, with the end goal being our salvation, uh, communicating his love and his forgiveness and his grace to us. So that's the kind of God fundamentally uh, that this Jesus is. Uh, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt with us. And then John goes on to say, and we have seen his glory in that, that we have seen is something that we saw again in the book of first John, um, emphasizing his role as an eyewitness to the incarnated God, man mixture that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that, uh, this claim vindicates John's teaching here, um, in this gospel as it, as it did in his letter of first John that, uh, he's seen him. He saw Jesus. He traveled closely with him. He smelled him. He touched him. Um, and not only John, but, but many witnesses did. Um, he says, we have seen his glory, his weight, his, his, his divine weightiness um, was witnessed. Um, and you wonder if he, he has in mind here just Jesus in general, which is evidencing the, the glory of God in, in its in its own way, or maybe even the transfiguration story when Peter, James, and John get to go up on the mountain and see Jesus shine forth with the glory of God in their midst. 
but whatever whatever he has in mind here he he genuinely saw his glory and then he he has these two phrases that, that kind of highlight the nature of that glory first glory as of the only son from the father that the greek is this monogenus um this adjective that, that kind of means one and only it's he's sort of saying glory as the one and only from the father um it's it's singular there's no one that has glory like this it's it's the sort of glory that only comes from being in that kind of relationship to god so um john elsewhere in this gospel is going to talk about uh, how other people are invited into the family of god even in verse 12 just two verses before he says everyone jesus came to give everyone the right to become children of god so there's a sense in which if you're in Christ, you are a child of God, but there is something unique about Jesus's sonship. And that's that he shares in divinity itself, the divine nature, the divine substance. He's the one and only. He has glory of the one and only from the father. And so if that's one thing that's special about Jesus's glory, here's, here's the second, this last clause here, full of grace and truth. And that's probably modifying telling us about the glory. Um, the glory is what is full of grace and truth, but it's no, it's no stretch to say if Jesus's glory was full of grace and truth, then Jesus is full of grace and truth. And, and these are ideas that are, uh, of course, attributed to him all the time throughout the New Testament. And so what does it mean for him to be full, full of grace and full of truth? Well, uh, first grace, he's full of grace. He's full of unmerited favor it's it's connected to the idea of mercy as well but though we did not deserve it he had good for us and love for us and forgiveness for us and righteousness for us and a perfect standing with god for us um, if you've ever wondered what god's basic disposition toward his people is uh, i would argue that it's grace it's graciousness it's Though we don't deserve it, though we deserve judgment, um, he chooses to bless and to give and to love and to serve. And the cross is the means by which he made that uh, just uh, at the same time. And so uh, for, for, for Jesus to be full of grace means that he lacks no part of grace. Uh, he's not kind of gracious. He's full of it. So if you ever wondered, like, when, what does God fundamentally think toward you? What's his disposition toward you? It's grace. And he's full of it for you, for you individually, whatever, whatever you've done, however you've fallen short, wherever you've sinned, wherever your points of weakness are, um, he has grace for you, none the less. Um, so that's number one. Then he says of truth as well, um, full, full of reality, full of full of truthfulness. There's no deception in him. There's no lying in him. And, um, these ideas are, are complex. There's of course, nothing contradictory about grace and truth, though it may emphasize that uh, his, though he's gracious, his standards don't bend. Um, his, his goodness doesn't waver. Uh, his justice doesn't, uh, crumble at any point. He's both full of grace and full of truth and we just see this beautiful tension played out as we read stories about jesus interacting with sinners both calling them to repent but offering them forgiveness in full 
It's simply trust him and respond to him in faith. It's, it's really, it's really beautiful and amazing. And it just remind it always reminds me of this conception of grace and truth of that beautiful passage from Exodus 34. If, if you don't know this passage, it's kind of God's big moment of one of his big moments of early on of, of self-disclosure to, to his people, to Moses specifically. It says the Lord, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and said, The Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on his children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. And you sit there and you read that. And if you're like me, you're like, how do these things fit together? Forgiving sin, but not clearing the guilty. I mean, aren't those contradictory? And no, they're not. He, he, he provides the means for forgiveness in the Old and New Testament, but we see it most clearly again on the cross where Jesus becomes both judge and judged in our place. Um, the, these two seemingly contradictory things are wrapped up fully and expressed clearly in Jesus, the word made flesh to live amongst us. And so uh, that's just a quick look at these this, this single verse here. And I just want to conclude with this. So uh, the, the claim at the beginning of the Gospel of John is that in the incarnation, Jesus came to be God with us. And then we jump ahead in Jesus' life to, to just before he ascends in Matthew 28, the, the last verse of, of the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus already done his ministry. He's he's uh, about to leave the disciples and it says he's he tells them to go, make disciples, baptize, teach. In the last line he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And sometime thereafter, Matthew doesn't record it, but Jesus ascends to heaven. But the promise remains, I am with you always. So he's God with us in the incarnation. He is still God with us, though he is not here bodily with us. Uh, he sends us his spirit to live in us. But but it, in, in, in some way, he is still with us and promises to be to the end of the age. And then we jump ahead to the very last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. Um, it concludes with, with God and the Lamb, Jesus, dwelling forever with his people, with a new intimacy and a closeness unseen since the Garden of Eden and never to be lost again, living uh, living in, in perfect harmony, in perfect relationship, in perfect um, unity. Revelation 21 and 22 is beautiful. If you feel discouraged, go read it. It will encourage you. Um, but the promise is that uh, not only is Jesus with us to the end of this age, he's with us. Um, he's going to be with us in full in the age to come as well. And so friends, we find ourselves between these two anchor points. Um, previously, he said, I'm with you to the end of the age. Here yet to come, he promises to be with us in the age to come uh, in a new way. And, and however wild and difficult and stressful and, and, and frankly devastating things might get for us, for any of us individually, for us as a community, um, for us, us as a city, for us as a nation, for us as a world. Whatever comes, 
I'm not saying it's going to be uh, utterly catastrophic in every way. Of course, I don't know. But I can say whatever does come, we can trust that this is true. He is with us. And it will be true that he will be with us into eternity future and closer than we could even possibly imagine right now. And so take comfort, friends. He has not abandoned us. He's not turned his back on us. He has not forgotten us. He has not revoked his grace from us. He has not um, left us alone, but he's with us and he will be with us. And that's good news. Amen.